So we have um, just last week we started this series on living into community, and like I said, it's a fitting thing to celebrate Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, in the middle of this because it is God's Spirit who creates the community of God's people. Um, We don't do this by trying harder. We don't do this by disciplining ourselves more, although those things do, um, they play a part in growing in faith. But it is God's Spirit uh, alone that can create, that can empower us to take these practices into place and make life out of them. So, since God created each of us with an inner longing to know and be known, to be part of a real life-giving community, and since we've all experienced that it's not easy to come by life-giving community, and we may have tasted it, and then we may have been hurt by it, we all have these mutual experiences. In this series, we're exploring, exploring four foundational practices to developing life-giving community. Again, these aren't just, we're not talking about these simply because they help create community. We are exploring them because these are aspects of God's character that God then, by his spirit, invites us to live out more fully and experience. The four practices are hospitality, promise-keeping, truth-telling, and gratitude. And last week we started with hospitality. And we unpacked how hospitality is not simply something we do because we should, not simply because it is the moral or right thing to do, to care and welcome strangers. But we make space for the guest because the guest has a gift that they bring. And we can't help them unpack that gift, uncover their gift, unless we make a space safe enough for them to reveal it. So we look at people with a different attitude when we anticipate that the interaction with them is one that may actually be an interaction with God. When we look at somebody thinking they have something, a God instilled something that is a gift, and how can I help bring it out? So we're going to continue this hospitality conversation this morning addressing a couple of tensions and challenges that arise when we really lean into hospitality. And I want to do this by getting into Elijah's story. Elijah was a prophet, which basically meant that God called him to speak truth to power. Called him to speak what was true to hard places, to hard people. In Elijah's case, the power he was to speak to was primarily King Ahab. And here is what he said. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So, just a little background. Ahab was king of Israel. Uh, Israel was supposed to be God's people. So Ahab was supposed to be leading God's people to live as God's community. That was his job. Instead, Ahab was leading God's people in practices of idol worship which included setting up religious prostitution sites for the fertility goddess Asherah. It also included um, worshiping the Canaanite god Baal, who the surrounding communities believed was in charge of bringing about fertility of crops, of flocks. If you wanted your sheep herd to increase, you went to the god of fertility. Uh, You went to Asherah, the goddess of fertility, and you did the worship things for them, and then they blessed you with better goats and better sheep. In our case, it just might be an increase in your bank account, a a raise, whatever. So, 
under Ahab's leadership, God's people were trusting Baal to give them rain for their crops. So God told Elijah to tell Ahab that there wouldn't be any rain for three years. No rain, of course, meant bad farming. No rain meant your flocks and herds would die with no water. No rain meant, uh, well, bad farming, low flocks and herds meant inflation. Prices go up. Inflation meant you can't afford the food as well, so your children go hungry. People don't have enough. So this was basically Elijah saying, we're entering now into a season of lack, where you're going to feel like there is not enough. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So in 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 the midst of this, God says to Elijah, go away from here and go hide yourself by the Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. You can drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you. And so Elijah went and did what God had said. He went and lived by the brook, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there wasn't any rain in the land. So, as Elijah obeys God's direction, he experiences, initially here, what it's like to be hosted by God. God basically says, here's where you go, and I'll take care of you. So like the uh, Israelite prophet writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is what God does. He prepares a table. He provides Elijah with bread and meat. The ravens are the servants, bringing him his meal in the morning and again at night. Bread and meat, bread and meat. With God as the host, There is plenty. Elijah is cared for, protected. Provisions are abundant. Just as God had served the Israelites in the desert, bringing manna, bringing quail, bread, meat, water out of a rock, God now provides for Elijah bread and meat morning and night. I mean, this is a pretty rich fare. How many of you have bread and meat morning and night? Well, maybe you do. Maybe we we do. But eventually, the effects of the drought deepen, and the bubbling brook becomes narrower, and it turns to a trickle, and it eventually dries up into dust. And although Elijah walks with God, Elijah doesn't change in his faithfulness to God. Elijah is being obedient and faithful. That doesn't keep him from experiencing the residual consequences of a wider nation who aren't listening to or responding to God. But... God still provides for Elijah by giving him a new direction. Here's what God says. Get up. Go to Zarephath in Sidon, which would have been outside of Israel, would have been north, outside of Ahab's influence. Go and live there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. And so Elijah got up, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gates of the city, he noticed a widow going around picking up sticks. And he said to her, Bring me a little water in your jar so I can wet my lips. And as she was going to bring it, he called back to her, And bring me just a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I have only a handful of flour in a jar, a little oil in a jug, and now I'm just gathering a couple of sticks so I can go in and prepare something for myself and my son, and then we can die. I want you to have this contrast in your head, this 
bread and meat in the morning and at night. And then this, I have just a few sticks and not even a handful of flour and maybe a thumbprint of oil and we're going to die. Nothing baked. It's not even enough to live on. Our resources are scarce. There's not even enough for us, let alone for you. Because it's here we bump up against a key tension that we have to learn to live with when we practice hospitality. Because the God who instructs us to be hospitable is a God of abundance. And we see it over and over. And we ourselves have experienced it in one way or another. This is the God who calls us to live into an abundant kingdom. To own your identity as a people invited to a table where there's more than enough. Unlimited resources. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. God has unlimited energy. God exists yesterday, today, and forever. God is not bound by time. God has all the time in the world and more. And yet we, who are called by God to engage in hospitality, bump up against the limits of our resources the limits of our energy, the limits of our time. And whether you or your family is having somebody over for dinner or whether we as a church talk about making or building a ministry that welcomes teens or that welcomes those with infants or that welcomes those who have trouble walking, whatever it may be, we always, we will always run up against these limits of how many people we have, of how much money we have, of how much time we have and energy we have. It's always there. It's always a question. So the tension in this story is all the more noticeable because in the ancient world, hospitality was just expected. It was a moral thing. People understood, you welcome strangers, that is the right thing to do. That is what, like if you don't, your village looks down on you. If you're a village that's known as a a non-welcoming village, you are looked down upon in the wider culture. There was no hotel. There was no Airbnb. How you provide care for strangers shaped your reputation as a family, as a village. So the widow here is visibly torn. I don't think she's trying to be ornery. She's just facing reality as she sees it. I've got nothing. I know it's the right thing to do, but I've got nothing. Christine Pohl tells a story about how she went and stayed in a homeless shelter one day. And um, she was talking with the director, and it, was, um, it got full. All the beds were taken, and so they locked the doors. They said, "There's nobody, nobody else can come in. And then the rain began to fall. I mean, just uh, an all-out storm. And they could hear people outside the door. I mean, there were people trying to gather, and they had knocked, and they had said, you know, there's, there's just no more room. And so there's a few that they've cared for, and there's these others outside, and Christine says she turns to the director, and she says, how, how do you live with yourself? Knowing that there's these folks right outside the door that you have to say no to. And the director said, you know, you just, you don't ever make peace with it. You do what you can do. And you go on. 
Sometimes there is a sense of peace and sometimes there just isn't. You just recognize, this is what I can do. And that's okay. And we have to allow God to work through others to go further. We will always have to make choices regarding the tension of limits. Some people and some families and some communities will tend toward never saying no because their love and their sense of responsibility will always push them to do more and they will feel, they will extend themselves as far as they can consistently. And for anyone in this category, if you find yourself there, you have to take seriously the practice of Sabbath and celebration and rest. If you don't build those practices into your life, you will burn out. You will exhaust yourself, and then you will hurt others, or you will um, take yourself out of the ability to offer that care again over the long term. It has to be partnered. Hospitality has to be partnered with Sabbath and celebration. On the other hand, some people in some communities find any level of hospitality to be a stretch and unnatural. Those in this category will more likely to say, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough energy, I don't have enough money. I can't do that. They may use those limits as excuses rather than seeing them as just part of a life that is always in tension. And they may use those excuses to not ever take a risk, to not ever push a little further than they already are. And yet, those of us, those of you in that category must push further must listen to God's spirit and say, is this a risk you're asking me to take? Is this an extension of myself you're asking me to do, even if it is uncomfortable now? Because only then can you, can we experience how God provides and the gifts that God is bringing in those strangers. So if we are to be a people who are living examples of what it looks like to trust God completely, we have to make these choices knowing that caring for strangers, that hospitality, is a call that God makes on our lives. We can't say no to that. That is what God calls us to do and be. We just have to live with attention of what exactly that looks like in this moment, in this season, today. So, back with the story. The woman is right in the middle of this. She's wrestling over the tension. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you've said. That is, go and make a a little bit for you and your son. But first, take just a little cake from your flour and bring it to me. And afterwards, then make something for you and your family. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be emptied. The jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So in the middle of this tension, the woman's choice about hospitality becomes a choice about who she's going to trust. Through this stranger who has shown up at her door, the Lord gives a promise that if she will first care for this stranger, then God will supply the wider needs of her family as well. Welcoming the stranger is, for her, an act of both obedience and faith to the Lord, And so then we wait in the story and say, how will she respond? And how will we? Let me pause here and just name another challenge that we have to deal with on not just 
the practice of hospitality, but on the road of discipleship with God at all, the, the road of faith. It's a challenge that says something like this in my head. It says, I can't have somebody over because I don't have time to get my house clean first. I can't have somebody over because then they'll come and see how I haven't fixed my deck in five years. I can't have somebody over I can't, because I can't do it like my mom used to. Or I can't even do it like I used to. Like the standard I've set for myself. I can't have somebody over because I would need a nice cut of meat. And frankly, I can't afford that right now. I can't have somebody over because I've got to get up early the next day. And I would feel rude telling people that I really need them to leave by 8 so I can go to bed. These are all just different ways of giving voice to this desire that many of us have to convince people that we have it all together. And until we can convince them that we have it all together, or until at least we can put up the front that we want to put up, then we're not going to be ready to let anybody else in. But when we need, when we think we need, when we need people to think that we have it all together, or that we have our house in perfect order, whatever that looks like for you, and when does this ever happen? <laughs> when do we have it all together? Or we think we are a better host when we have it all just right, then we're always going to feel like we never quite have it there. Something's always out of place. And yet the truth is, to be a good host actually requires that we be comfortable with our brokenness, with our weakness, with the fact that we just don't have it all together. And we already know that. I mean, we know we don't have it all together. We just want to put up a good show for the 30 minutes or the two hours or the half a day, whatever. Um, but if we can get to a place, I mean, really, when you get to the place where you don't have to put up the show and you can welcome people into the reality that you already know, that I'm, I'm just kind of a living mess and I'm working on it, um, that is a step of maturity. That is a step of growth. Because only then can we be open to what the guest has to offer. Because even when we have it all together, even when we feel like we have presented the picture we want to present, we are mentally always thinking about those details and rarely being able to focus on the person in front of us. And when we can enter into that space that says, come on in, here's how we are today. (laughs) There's the laundry pile, and that's what it is. Um, then, Then we can release some of that and say, It's you that matters, really, not this stuff. So how can I be with you in the next ten minutes? And I think this woman does, in the end, do a bit of this, as she listens to Elijah's counsel. She welcomes him in, she makes him a biscuit, and her flour and oil don't run out. God sustains her and her guest as she responds in trust to God's invitation through this stranger. And it happens the next day, and it happens the next day, and it keeps on happening, in fact, until Elijah leaves and the famine ends. And so I simply want to ask the question, I simply want to wonder aloud, what opportunity do you have right now in your life to offer hospitality? Uh, which of these tensions are you wrestling with the most? Which of these tensions seems to come back up in your mind? Uh, 
Is it a tension of resources, of money? Is it a tension of time? Is it a tension of energy? Is it the tension of wanting to present what you wish you could present to people as you imagine what hospitality looks like? And I wonder, what is, what is God's Spirit inviting you to push into? Is God's Spirit inviting you to realize you're, you're not the same? You're not in the same situation you used to be. And so let go of that picture and begin to imagine what that looks like now. Is God inviting you to imagine um, these are some things you need to let go of and it's about you so that it can be about the guest, about somebody else? I wonder what God is inviting you into, where you're being asked to trust. And I wonder what gifts will be opened to you as you lean into that. The tensions aren't going to go away. There's not going to be a perfect feeling. There's not going to be a perfect space. You're always going to live with that. And so what does it look like to trust and to anticipate that God can come in a guest, in that practice, in, in pushing into the trust? Father, again, we, we just pause and we say again, it is, it is your Holy Spirit that uses a place of welcome, whether that's a, simply a conversation in a crowd or whether that's a meal set before someone. Your spirit uses those spaces to create space for belonging, to create spaces for trust and listening to you. And God, I know for me, and I'm, I'm just guessing for everybody else in this room, tension is not a place I like to live. I'd rather be free of tension. I'd rather have it all solved and clean. Um, but it feels like that's not how life works. And so, Holy Spirit, would you guide us even now as we learn to live in the tension? Help us, help my brothers and sisters to, um, to hear where you're calling them to trust and extend themselves to risk and when to let go when to allow themselves to, uh, to let go of the need to be perfect. God, for me as well. So that, God, so that, so that we can experience your presence in the other, so that we can be more and more a community that looks like um, the community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For your glory, Jesus, make this happen. Amen.